This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jackson Vungani and here is what is coming up. I think we're facing a crisis in terms of double standards and hypocrisy being leveled by African states against the West and by the West against African states. That is Priya Singh, a researcher at South Africa's Institute for Security Studies on efforts to ease sanctions against Zimbabwe. All of this and more coming up on African News Tonight. And for our top story, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres opened a Security Council meeting with the top Russian and U.S. diplomats today by calling the talk of a nuclear conflict totally unacceptable. He urged accountability for what he called a catalog of cruelty in the invasion of Ukraine. Guterres said that this includes reports of summary executions, sexual violence, torture, and other inhumane and degrading treatments against civilians and prisoners of war. France, the current head of the Security Council, called a session on accountability in Ukraine during the UN General Assembly. French Foreign Minister Catherine Colonna told reporters uh, before entering the session that there is no peace without justice. Ukraine and outside observers have blamed Russia for numerous human rights violations since it invaded Ukraine seven months ago. Moscow has repeatedly denied the allegations and accused Ukraine and the West of threatening its territorial integrity. I spoke with VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir about another busy day at the UN headquarters in New York. So, Margaret, there is a ministerial meeting in the UN Security Council this morning on Ukraine. What is the focus of the meeting? Well, it's sort of a combination. It was originally supposed to be about impunity in the war for war crimes, atrocities. Think about the uh, mass graves we've uh, uh, heard about in Bucha and Mariupol and Izium. Uh, But in light of President Putin's uh, remarks on Wednesday, uh, kind of making nuclear threats and talking about mobilizing 300,000 more troops and his plans to hold uh, what he's calling referendums in uh, four areas, occupied areas of Ukraine, the focus of this meeting has shifted a little bit. And so it's covering everything uh, at this moment. And what specifically are the council members saying? Well, there's a lot of concern, of course, about all the things I just mentioned, especially uh, nu- the possibility of a nuclear accident or incident. Uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, spoke to the meeting, and he said that the idea of nuclear conflict used to be unthinkable, and now it's become subject of debate. And he said that in itself is just totally unacceptable, and that all nuclear-armed states should recommit to the use, to the non-use, excuse me, and total elimination of nuclear weapons. And uh, we heard from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, the American Secretary of State, he said that uh, instead of changing course, Putin is doubling down and expanding the war by calling up uh, more troops and such. And he said by doing all of this, making these announcements this week when the world is gathered at the United Nations, he's showing uh, utter contempt for the U.N. and uh, for the international order that other nations are trying to uphold. And he said we won't let Putin get away with it. Who is uh, representing Russia at the meeting? Is Minister Lavrov in attendance? So Lavrov is going to speak at the meeting. We haven't seen him in the room just yet, uh, but he's on the speaker's list and he's in the building. We've 
seen him. So basically, he's not sitting in there listening to everybody talk badly about his country. He's, he's sent someone else to do that part. But I expect him to give a strong uh, speech. You know, he's, he's very well known for being a very outspoken uh, diplomat and foreign minister, and he will certainly uh, give as good as he gets. That was VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir speaking to me from the UN headquarters in New York. And at the United Nations General Assembly, some African leaders have weighed in on the war in Ukraine, calling for an immediate resolution to hostilities. In yesterday's session, Mohamedou Buhari, the president of Nigeria, said the war makes it harder for the UN to address many important issues, including the risk of nuclear war. The ongoing war in Ukraine is making it more difficult to tackle the perennial issues that feature each year in the deliberations of this assembly, such as nuclear disarmament, the right of the Rohingya refugees to return to their homes in Myanmar, and the Palestinians' legitimate aspirations for statehood and reduction of inequalities within and among the nations. The danger of escalation of the war in Ukraine further justifies Nigeria's resolute calls for a nuclear-free free world and a universal arms trade treaty. I remain firmly convinced that the challenges that have come so sharply into focus in recent years and months emphasize the call by Nigeria and many other member states for the reform of the Security Council and other United Nations agencies. Zambia's President Hakayende Hichelema yesterday also urged for an end to the war and warned of its far-reaching implications. Zambia joins other governments in expressing particular concern about the ongoing war in Ukraine. As we stand with all those affected, both inside Ukraine and in the neighboring countries, we also take this opportunity to stress the far-reaching negative consequences of this war, particularly on the prices of food across the world, fuel, fertilizer, and other key commodities. War in any part of the world, Mr. President, has a damaging effect on economic activity, which derails our collective fight against poverty and hunger. A few months of war can erase decades of progress, and I think we need to take note of this. We therefore categorically condemn war anyway and we continue to urge all parties involved to pursue diplomatic solutions to conflict resolution. Kenya's newly inaugurated President William Ruto also called on the Assembly to address the effects of climate change, which is creating food scarcity in many countries. Many countries now bear witness to the unsettling phenomena of rivers, canals, and water reservoirs that are drying up on account of droughts and heat waves occasioned by climate change. Kenya is no exception. The northern arid and semi-arid rangelands of our country have been gravely impacted by drought, whose severity has not been seen or experienced in 40 years. 3.1 million residents of these assholes are now severely food insecure on account of scarce rainfall over three consecutive seasons, leading to poor crop and pasture. This unprecedented confluence of intensely adverse events has exacerbated water scarcity and starvation worsened by rising food prices 
thus complicating Kenya's roadmap towards delivering good quality of life to our citizens. Uganda's health ministry has confirmed seven cases of Ebola, including a 24-year-old man who died this week. Reuters says he was initially diagnosed with malaria before being detected with the Sudan strain of the deadly virus. The new service says another seven deaths are being investigated as suspected cases of the disease. It says Uganda last reported an outbreak of the Sudan strain 10 years ago. In 2019, it experienced the spread of Ebola Zaire. Health officials say the current outbreak was imported from the eastern region of neighboring Democratic Republic of the Congo. Last month, a vaccination campaign was launched in the DRC town of Beni. African News Tonight continues. UN investigators are accusing the Ethiopian government of committing serious violations in the Tigray region, which could amount to war crimes and crimes against humanity. The International Commission of Human Rights Experts on Ethiopia submitted its first report today to the UN Human Rights Council. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The three-member commission says widespread horrific acts of violence have been committed since fighting in Ethiopia's northern Tigray province broke out in November 2020. It finds neither the government nor the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front has clean hands. However, it notes the government is responsible for most of the atrocities documented in the report, adding that some of these crimes are ongoing. The investigators blame the government for the dire humanitarian situation in Tigray. The commission chair, Kari Bedi Murungi, said the federal government and its allies have looted and destroyed goods indispensable for the survival of the civilian population. She added these and other tactics have left 90% of the population in desperate need of assistance. We have reasonable grounds to believe that the widespread denial and obstruction of access to basic services, food, health care and humanitarian assistance amounts to the crime against humanity of persecution and inhumane acts. We also have reasonable grounds to believe that the federal government is committing the war crime of using starvation as a method of warfare. Morungi noted the commission also has received information indicating that Tigrayan forces have looted or otherwise misappropriated humanitarian aid. She said there are reasonable grounds to believe the Ethiopian Air Force has committed war crimes, including intentional attacks against civilians and the use of armed drones against civilian targets, causing many civilian deaths and injuries. The commission also found that rape and crimes of sexual violence have been perpetrated on a staggering scale since the conflict began, with Ethiopian and Eritrean forces and regional militia targeting Tigrayan women and girls with particular violence and brutality. At times, the attackers used dehumanizing language that suggested an intent to destroy uh, Tigrayan ethnicity. The commission said the Tigrayan forces also have committed serious human rights abuses, some of which amount to war crimes. It accused the forces of large-scale killings of Amhara civilians, rape and sexual violence, and widespread looting and destruction of property. 
The Ethiopian ambassador to the UN in Geneva, Zanibi Kabidi, said the allegations in the report were unsubstantiated, selective, discriminatory, and politically motivated. He said Ethiopia is committed to peacefully resolving the conflict in Tigray under the auspices of the African Union. He called on members of the Human Rights Council to reject the report and not to extend the mandate of the commission. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A court in Burkina Faso has convicted three former presidential guards of involvement in the slaying of a student leader in May 1990. Armed men kidnapped Bukhari Dabo and then took him to a camp run by a presidential security regiment where he was tortured. The French news agency AFP says the guards worked in the government of former President Blaise Campoire. They include General Gilbert Diendere, who is already serving a term, a lifetime for his role in the assassination of President Thomas Sankara in a 1987 coup that brought Campoire to power. Diendere was tried starting Monday for complicity in an illegal arrest and aggravated abduction and sentenced to 20 years in prison. AFP notes that the investigations began in 2000. Charges were finally brought in 2017 after a popular uprising toppled Kampori's government. African Union spokesperson chairperson Makisal has called for the end of sanctions against Zimbabwe at the UN General Assembly in New York. The United States and European Union began sanctioning the government of the Southern African nation in the early 2000s after a brutal crackdown on opponents of then-President Robert Mugabe. Sal, also the president of Senegal, says the measures are hurting ordinary Zimbabweans. Darren Teller has more on this story. Sal's call yesterday is likely to meet heavy opposition from the U.S. and Europe. They renewed the sanctions against Harare just five months ago. At that time, President Joe Biden criticized Zimbabwe's President Emerson Mnangagwa for not making reforms needed to promote democracy. Biden said the ZANU-PF administration was continuing to violently repress citizens, opposition party members and journalists. ZANU-PF denies this calling the sanctions vindictive and retaliation for its seizure of white-owned farms in the early 2000s. Africans say the West enjoys good relations with countries guilty of similar abuses as those allegedly committed by Zimbabwe, yet isn't sanctioning them. I think we're facing a crisis in terms of double standards and hypocrisy being leveled by African states against the West and by the West against African states. Priyal Singh is a researcher at South Africa's Institute for Security Studies. He predicts the latest call to drop sanctions against Zimbabwe won't get very far. It's very difficult to kind of coordinate a wholesale lifting of sanctions. I think what's probably needed is for the chairperson of the African Union to engage more closely with the Southern African development community and with individual states from Southern Africa so that these states can put forward a much more compelling case on behalf of Zimbabwe. Europe and Washington say the sanctions target senior officials and allies of ZANU-PF who are corrupt and abuse human rights. One of their main objectives is to limit these individuals' ability to do business internationally. 
Sanctioned persons include top Zimbabwean businessman and ZANU-PF funder Kudakwashe Tagwere, former state security minister Owen Mube, and party stalwart Patrick Chinamasa. Singh says Africa's efforts to overturn the sanctions have been disjointed. I think the last few years has shown us that Africa is very intricately interwoven into global supply chains, the global economy, and the strategic considerations of competing global powers. So African leaders need to much better band together and coordinate and cohere their approaches so that they can leverage their collective agency with institutions like the General Assembly. He argues that Russia's invasion of Ukraine means there's never been a better time for Africa to negotiate for what it wants on the world stage. One of the strange and slightly perverse effects of this ongoing crisis is that it does lend much greater geostrategic significance to African states and to Africa as a collective. As global powers look to Africa as a battleground, an ideological battleground to diversify the base of international partners economically, politically, strategically. Um, and Zimbabwe's near neighbor, South Africa, has been very vocal in calling for the sanctions to end. But Singh says Pretoria often makes a big noise at international forums, like its ongoing statements that it won't be bullied into taking sides in the conflict in Eastern Europe. South Africa needs to match its rhetorical kind of statements with tangible, meaningful action. So the Africa is just not putting its money where it, its mouth is in, in its foreign policy right now. It calls for a kind of like a negotiated settlement and, and calls for dialogue and mediation. What is South Africa tangibly doing? Has a special representative been appointed? He says, like South Africa, the AU is just shouting about how sanctions against Zimbabwe must stop. But it's presenting no roadmap of good reasons to Washington and Europe that could allow that to happen. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington. Migrants who come to South Africa for greener pastures say they expect a bleak future as the country's electricity crisis has brought many businesses to a halt. Those who are employed fear they could lose their jobs, while those running small businesses are at risk of closing for good. Analysts warn that if nothing is done quickly, the grid will shut down, sparking the country's worst economic crisis ever. Tutu Kumalo reports from Johannesburg. Many South African communities now go up to nine hours a day without electricity as the power cards crisis rages on like an uncontrollable bushfire. This has left many migrants worried. Those likely coming from countries like Nigeria, Ethiopia, Somalia and Pakistan are operating small businesses in the informal sector. Their grocery shops, hair saloons, eateries and other businesses are highly dependent on electricity. Debo Adesina founded a movement called Nigerian Lives Matter and is brand ambassador for the African Diaspora Forum. Like all other small business owners, he told VOA he is frustrated. The growth of any business people in South Africa is now going down. Our people, 
are now crying. The smaller businesses are now dying. With all the issue that has to do with the hatred, now making it more accumulating. Nakutoma Bena is the representative of the Zimbabwe community in South Africa. He told VOA that, like South Africans, Zimbabwean migrants have been hit hard by the electricity cuts. Those that are running small restaurants are affected because uh, foodstuffs that needs to be refrigerated is becoming bad. Those that also run internet businesses, they get affected by the constant power cuts. And also, uh, it means people will not have time to cook for their kids, who obviously will be going to school the next morning. For years, Peter Ikebudu from Nigeria has operated a restaurant selling African traditional meals in Brownfontein, Johannesburg. He told VOA that the power disruptions have become a really threat to his business. Whenever electricity goes out, the service, uh, the network is not there. So most of the orders we're supposed to get when the network is there, it's no longer there. So it's something we are pleading with the government to get a solution to it so that everything will come back to normal. Vendors are also not spared. They are forced to pack and leave once it's dark. Amir Sheikh is the chairperson of the African Diaspora Forum, a federation of migrants associations in South Africa, and leader of the Somali and Ethiopian nationals in South Africa. He told VOA that electricity cuts also pose a security risk to migrants' businesses. The eight increase in business robberies, shop lifting because it is dark and break ins. Many migrant businesses are not insured and hence they suffer huge losses due to endless power outrages, frozen and perishable goods going rotten, damages to actual appliances, electricity equipments, and ultimately either retrenchment of the workers or closing. And Victress Matutu, the chairperson of the Zim Imbogoto, an organization fighting for the emancipation of female migrants, told VOA that women bear the brunt of the power cuts as many of their businesses rely on electricity. A lot of ladies are found in salons, they are found in restaurants, they are found in bars, they are found on the streets being vendors. The effect of load shedding is too much on them. It's very difficult. So it is most likely we're going to see businesses closing down again. That's going to affect a lot of women who are in those industries. There are fears that if the power cuts continue and businesses keep closing, and foreign sentiments could grow as migrants and locals justly for limited jobs and livelihoods. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. The U.S. military says it carried out airstrikes that killed 27 fighters from the Al-Shabaab militant group in Somalia's central Hiran region. Reuters cited a statement by the U.S. Africa Command that says the extremists were killed in an attack Sunday on federal forces near the town of Bolobadi, about 200 kilometers from Mogadishu. The command called its moves defensive strikes that allowed the Somali National Army and forces with the African Union transition mission in Somalia to regain the initiative against al-Shabaab in the region with their largest combined offensive in five years. 
Reuters notes that residents in Iran have also formed paramilitary groups to fight the extremists who have burned houses, destroyed wells and demanded taxes amid the worst drought in 40 years. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at boaafrica.com. We are also on social media at BOA Africa.